Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Fantasy for the Ages, the show where father and son sit down and talk about fantasy, sci-fi, and what other nerdy, nerdy, geeky content we feel like talking about on a given day. Today, it's just me, Jim, the father of this duo. This is one of our Just Jim episodes, digging into the Dresden Files. So, Zach is not with me today. He is working on the Dresden Files now. Those of you have, who've been listening all through my reviews will be happy to hear that. And eventually, we'll do an, a to read or not to read on the Dresden Files. We'll also, I'm sure, dive deep into the magic system of the Dresden Files. We just gotta let Zach get through some more of this goodness. I'm sure he can get them all the way done before Jim Butcher drops a next book. I want to thank you for being with us. If you enjoy what you see here today, be sure to explore all of our other content. If you're a subscriber already, thank you. We just love sharing the fun. But if you're new to this, take a look on the YouTube channel. We've got all sorts of different playlists, different types of content we put out. Of course, we share our love of the Wheel of Time. I'm having fun with the Dresden Files and then lots of other odds and ends to explore and enjoy. So if you're new, if this is your first time, we do hope you'll like this particular video or uh, give it a star review and a rating if you're listening in an audio format. And subscribe so you don't miss any of the content. I am happy to see that we continue to climb a little higher in our subscriptions on YouTube. Last I looked, we're up to 93 Great to have all of you here. I know some of you have been watching without subscribing. Come on, help us get over the 100 and hit that subscribe button. That would be just awesome. One of the things we usually do when we record an episode is talk about what we're drinking. I'm not drinking anything today. And there's a reason. It finally dawned on me when I'm doing these episodes without Zach and I don't have any other guests, there's no point in having a beverage because I can never pause to take a drink. It's not like I can just sit there and wait for you to say something. See how awkward that was? <laughs> so I have to keep the content going. So I'll have something to drink when I'm done celebrating the episode that I just recorded for you all. I don't have anybody with me here in Discord today. Most of our patrons, our Patreon supporters, aren't current on the Dresden Files yet. I know some of them are working their way through it, and they'll get to this when they get this far. But I wanted to plug that. One of the ways you can connect with us further is get on our Discord server. Lots of people there talking about fantasy and sci-fi and the things we enjoy. But you can also choose to support our show on Patreon. We have a Patreon page. Just look, patreon.com, fantasy for the ages. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can be part of our live recordings. You can be with us on Discord, chatting away, interacting, trying to break our train of thought, whatever works for you to have a good time as you participate in our recordings. So I encourage you to look into that. Now let's talk about what we're here to do today. Book 16 of the Dresden Files, Peace Talks. Spoiler clarification on how this works. I will spoil the heck out of this book today. If you have not read Peace Talks, go away now. Come back after you've read the book. If you've read it, you're here in a happy place today, and we're just going to talk about the goodness that is this book. I will reference things from previous books, although there's so much to talk about in Peace Talks that I, I won't get to spending much time on previous books. But I will not talk about Book 17, Battleground, or any of the books after that. 
course, as I'm recording this, there aren't any more books after that, but they're coming. We have faith in Jim Butcher. He's writing away. So, Peace Talks. That's what we're here for today. Let's dig into it. Part of me wants to think of Peace Talks as only half a book. It's the setup for book 17, Battleground. But at the same time, there is so much that happens in Peace Talks that it is worthy of being its own book. It's a bit awe-inspiring, in fact, how many things Jim Butcher pulls together from the things he's planted in all these previous books to now come into one confluence that's like, amazing. I mean, Battleground is amazing, all on its own. I mean, jaw hits the floor as you're reading that book, but this one is worthy. This one is setting us up for Battleground, but it's got so much to enjoy in and of itself. To be honest with you now, as I talk about Peace Talks, I, I keep thinking there's so much in this book. It's somewhat overwhelming to review this one. I could talk for over three hours on this episode. I don't think you're here to hear my voice that long. So I'm going to change the way I'm doing this review as opposed to the previous few reviews where I kind of had a certain format. Rather than getting longer because I'm packing more in, I'm going to try to go the opposite direction today. I'm going to boil this down to my shortest Dresden Files episode. And we'll see if I can actually pull it off. Let's get into it. So first off, the plot of Peace Talks is heavily influenced by all the books that have occurred, especially since Changes, book 12. We find Harry, at the beginning of this story, now living in Molly's former apartment with the Svartelves. That place that she had acquired while Harry was supposedly dead, after being shot at the end of Changes. Now, Molly is the winter lady. She doesn't need a residence anymore. She has plenty of places she can spend her time as part of the winter court. But she still had this apartment that's a fantastic place to live, a sweet arrangement. So she's turned it over to Harry. Harry now lives basically in a fortress, which is a good thing because when last Harry had been living in this normal life, well, his apartment was burned to the ground. And then he was dead, sort of, and he comes back and finds the Brighter Future Society castle built on top of the site of his old apartment. There's no home for Harry anymore. So he's got a new substitute home now, a fantastic place to live, thanks to his former apprentice, Molly Carpenter. The Svart Elves have really good security. Nobody just waltzes in and out of their complex. So Harry can feel potentially safer than he's ever felt before out on his own. In fact, he feels so safe that he has someone living with him now, Maggie, his daughter, that he first met back in Changes, and there's been interactions, you know, along the way for months and months. She was living with the Carpenters, uh, Michael and Charity opening up their home to care for Maggie, but now Harry's like, I'm a dad, and I need to make the most of this opportunity. So he and Maggie have been trying to work it out, living together in his apartment, and so far, honestly, it's going pretty well. They do have one other person living with them. Person's the wrong term, of course. Mouse. That big old temple dog is also a resident of this apartment. Another key element of Peace Talks is we've got to talk about Karen Murphy. Now, Murphy, as this story starts out, is still pretty banged up due to the actions of the previous book's skin game. Because hanging out with Harry and trying to manage amidst the supernatural powers that he works amongst 
That can take a toll on us measly mortals. If you recall, in Skin Game, Harry asked Karen to be his backup. Uh, he was stuck in this situation where they're going to do a heist. They're going to break into a practically impregnable, safe fortress to get some highly valuable items. And he has to work with freaking Nicodemus of the Order of the Blackened Denarians. And of course, he doesn't trust Nicodemus at all, but he had no choice. Uh, this was his services were promised by Queen Mab. And as the Winter Knight, he had to do it. But he gets the arrangement that he can bring someone with him. He specifically asked Murphy to be the one. And she's like, why would you want me to come with you? I have nothing I can contribute in the midst of all these supernatural powered beings. And his answer was, exactly. You don't have any of that supernatural stuff, but you've been hanging with these kinds of things. You've learned to be really, really attentive. Nothing gets by you. That's what I need for the person watching my back. So nothing gets by me. Harry, in his mind, I'm sure, believed he would be able to keep them safe then. That's not how it went, unfortunately. And before they even get to actually pulling off the heist, Murphy has been seriously injured. She's been hospitalized. She's out of the fight. Harry feels very badly about that, of course. And here, as this story comes along, he's still feeling guilt over his choices that got Murphy dragged into something. And she's still really, I mean, convalescing. She's got a ways to go still. She is nowhere near 100% now. Who knows? Maybe she'll never be 100%. And this was a woman who was going, you know, toe-to-toe -to -toe on the practice mat with freaking Valkyries. But uh, yeah, she's got to take it a little easier now. Nevertheless, Karen is not holding this against Harry. In fact, she's a little ticked that Harry feels bad about her condition. She's like, hey, I'm a big girl. I make my own choices. You didn't drag me into that situation where I got hurt. I actively decided to come with you. So let it go. Besides uh, letting it go, they have continued to develop their relationship a little more. So they have let their inhibitions go, too. And we get to see here, their relationship has grown considerably, and uh, they are a bona fide couple now. We can safely say that. In fact, we get to see such a being a couple, <clears throat> coupling, right here in the book. In that actual scenario of happening right here on the page, more or less, uh, plays a key role in the plot coming up shortly. The crux of Peace Talks, why we even have this title for the book, is that the Fomor who've been causing havoc all over the world as they muscled into the vacuum that was created when Harry eliminated the Red Court of Vampires back in Changes, they've agreed to come to a meeting, a peace accords, of all of the players in the Unseelie Accords. So all these different supernatural powers, they're all going to meet and talk about, hey, can we find some common ground can we get to a place where we're not all trying to kill each other again? Because the Fomor, they're part of the Unseelie Accords. Just like the White Court of Vampires, just like the White Council of Wizards, just like the Ghouls and the Winter Court and the Summer Court. You know, all of these are part of the Unseelie Accords. Even Johnny Marcone is part of the Unseelie Accords. So sure, the Fomor agree to a meeting. Where do we have such a meeting? They're going to have it in Chicago, of course. Now, there's a reason for that. Chicago is the place where the Fulmore has actually had the least negative impact. Here, they've found the most resistance. 
So the people of Chicago, just regular Joe Schmo, are actually better off than a lot of other places around the world. They've had protectors. Of course, originally that wasn't Harry. When the Fulmore moved in, Harry was out of the picture. But he had friends. And they picked up the mantle for Harry. So Molly and Butters and Karen and the Alphas, those werewolf dudes, you know, all these various people who'd been part of his circle, they have continued the fight. And then Harry came back. So this has still been a place where the Fulmore have had less of an impact. Baron Marcone, previously just known as Gentleman Johnny Marcone, the head mobster of Chicago, but he was in a previous book allowed to become a signer, a signatory of the Ancelia Accords. So this is his fiefdom, Chicago. He will host the peace accords. And where? Well, his castle, of course, that uh, place that's built on Harry's former residence. So all the forces are going to come together for this special meeting. There's actually two meetings planned as part of the peace accords, at least initially. One is everybody else getting together. And then the second meeting shortly after it will be when the Fulmore join them. The White Wizards, they're sending the senior council of wizards to represent the White Council. And they don't go anywhere unprotected. So they have a crew of wardens that are going to be around. And Warden Carlos Ramirez, who we, well, we've known him for a long time now. I think we first met him in Deadbeat, book seven. He was one of those younger wizards who thought Harry was really cool, bucking the system a little bit. Well, Ramirez shows up to Harry and says, hey, you've been drafted. You're still technically a warden. We want you on the security council, watching after our senior council of wizards at this meeting. Harry would rather not, but he can't really say no. And there's a key reason he can't say no. He's been having issues with the White Council, and there's a movement actually to finally remove him from the White Council, like to take away his wizarding ID and the protections and privileges that come from being part of the White Council. They just disappear. More of his enemies could consider him fair game. So he'd, he'd like to manage to stay on the White Council. Now, what does the White Council have against Harry? Let me count the ways. First, he has an ongoing penchant for doing things his own way, rather than following the rules and expectations of wizards. That goes all the way back to book one, and even further back if you read all the short stories. Two, he died, but then he didn't die. It's not supposed to work like that. So now there are some wizards who are looking at him going, wait a second, something's not right here. He, he can't be here. He, he died. And they discern, suspect, black magic, bad things are behind the fact that Harry Dresden is still around. Number three, he is blamed for the war against the Red Court of Vampires, which resulted in the death of many wizards. So obviously they hold that against him. And honestly, he has some culpability in that. It would not be unfair to say Harry Dresden started the war against the Red Court of Vampires. Now, we were with him in that as we read the book Grave Peril. He didn't really have a choice other than to let bad things happen to good people. He's like, I'm not doing that. So he stood up for the helpless and it caused a war. Would he do it again? In a heartbeat. So wizards aren't happy with him about that. But then we come along to the book Changes and we see the action where he goes ahead and wipes out the Red Court of Vampires. Good thing, except 
that led to the rise of the Fulmore, which they're here now for the peace accords. A lot of more people have died because of the conflicts with the Fulmore. So many of them are putting that in Harry's head too. Then let's add in, let's see, this would be my fifth point. Let's add in that he's friends with Thomas Wraith, a white court vampire. Okay, you already had shenanigans with the red court, but now you're being all friendly with the white court, with this Thomas and others involved. I mean, Thomas is brother to Lara Wraith, the power behind the white court of vampires. They don't understand this. They don't like it. It looks fishy. Now, of course, most of the White Council of Wizards do not know Harry and Thomas are half-brothers, that they have the same mom. And it's probably good, because if you have to say, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not that I'm suspicious, and then that you can't trust me. It's simply my brother is a vampire. Yeah, that would go over great. So he's kept this secret. Uh, but that just leaves people confused, and if they don't understand things, they don't trust it. In fact, Ebenezer Blackstaff McCoy... Harry's one-time mentor, a member of the Senior Council of Wizards, so one of this group that he's supposed to protect, but also his grandfather, is one of those that does not get it. He hates the White Court vampires, and that Harry is friends with one of them makes him furious, makes him question, what's going on with Harry? Maybe there is something wrong with Harry. Maybe we can't trust Harry, his own grandson. Okay, five really good reasons why people on the White Council of the Wizards are suspicious of Harry and maybe want to kick him out. But there's one more. He's the Winter Knight. <laughs> he works for Queen Mab, the Queen of Air and Darkness, which everybody pretty much goes, she's evil. You're her guy now. They've seen how Winter Knights over the years, over the centuries, have been corrupted through the power of darkness. And that's Harry now. Now, they're assuming being the Winter Knight will corrupt Harry. So did Harry. That's why in Changes, he arranged his own murder. But he has since learned, okay, that's not true. I don't have to be corrupted by this. I can resist this. The White Court is not instantly going to change me into some evil dude. But the Wizards, they don't know that. They see him being the Winter Knight and awaiting him for him to show his true colors now. Darkness. All right. Lots of reasons why Harry is not trusted. Poor guy. He's just trying to do his best and, and be the best dad, the best friend, the best lover now, and the best wizard that he can be. But he's surrounded by people who doubt his, his reasons, don't trust his methods, don't think he can be depended on. They're looking for what's his angle. Poor Harry. The guy's got integrity and nobody believes it. Now, it's a Dresden Files book. So let's complicate things more, shall we? All right. Early on in the book, he's confronted by a couple of FBI agents who are investigating Harry and Karen Murphy for their involvements in the deaths of a number of people during Skin Game. People they were involved with the deaths of. Now, they didn't kill any of these people directly, but they were definitely in the midst of the events that led to these people's deaths. The FBI believe they've got just about enough evidence to pin this all and take them down for murder. Okay, that's a little concerning. But there's an explanation for all of these things. They're not guilty. Uh, the explanations, of course, are tied to supernatural events, which the FBI will not believe. So Harry's kind of stuck there. He's got these guys breathing down his neck, and he can't do much to defend himself. 
add to that, one of those agents is freaking Detective Rudolph, who we've known for books and books and books. He originally worked for Lieutenant Karen Murphy, or maybe even, yeah, I think she was Lieutenant back when we first met Detective Rudolph, in Special Investigations, that unit of the Chicago Police Department that looked into the questionable things, which were often the supernatural things. That's when Harry would be brought in as a special consultant, because he was a wizard and he could help with these things. Well, Rudy, Rudolph, you know, he never trusted Harry. He thought this stuff was just bunk, bogus. It's a sham. It's people tricking us. He got confronted along the way with real evidence. The supernatural stuff is legit rather than opening his eyes and embracing. There's more to the world than we can explain. He swung hard the other way. Complete denial. This is all a sham, a scam, and you're not taking me in. And he left special investigations, eventually ends up working for the FBI. More than happy to come up against Harry Dresden and prove once and for all the guy's a crook. He's no good, and he should be in prison. Great. Another complication. Thomas Wraith. We'd already had some conversation with Thomas early in the book when he reveals to his brother, Harry, that he's going to be a dad. Justine, the love of his life. They've had a really complicated relationship, but they're in a good place now. She has shared she's pregnant, and he's like floating. But at the same time, also like, okay, that's complicated. <laughs> what does that mean? White court vampire, human woman, we're having a kid. What will the kid be like? The typical worries of going to be a parent. Okay, so we had that background. Now we see Thomas again going off the deep end and attacking the head of the Svart Elves in their compound. You know, the place where Harry lives. He actually causes a fire. There's chaos and what he does is an assassination attempt on the head of the Svartelves, a guy named Eitri. It's a shock. It's a betrayal. Thomas was actually known amongst the Svartelves. They like him. There were There's a previous short story that plays into this a bit. He's developed relationships where he is welcome in their compound anytime, and he takes advantage of that and tries to take out the head guy. Now, he fails and gets taken into captivity by them and beaten severely and thrown in a cell and left to just suffer. Now, when you as a white vampire are injured badly, okay, you can draw on your vampiriness. I think I just made that word up to heal yourself, but then you need to feed. Thomas can't feed. He's being left isolated. There's no one he can feed off of. He's in a bad place. Harry gets a chance to talk to Thomas just briefly at the beginning of all this incarceration. You know, what the heck, Thomas? What did you do? Why did you do this? He doesn't get answers from Thomas. About the only thing he gets from him is Justine. Of course, Thomas is in a world of trouble and all he can talk about is Justine. The human love of his life. <sighs> well, Harry interprets that as look after Justine. I'm in trouble now. I know I'm stuck here. I can't get out. Take care of my pregnant wife. And of course, Harry will try to do so. Another issue thrown at Harry is that he and Ebenezer totally on the wrong page with each other. There have been some tensions along the way because, you know, going back to Ebenezer, not always being completely transparent with Harry, not telling him everything he knew. I mean, he knew he was Harry's grandfather and hadn't shared that until basically Harry figured it out for himself. What? You know, Ebenezer is Blackstaff McCoy. 
what the heck is that? Harry heard that title before he heard anything about what it means. The Blackstaff is the one guy who has the license to kill. He's the James Bond of the White Court of Wizards, the White Council of Wizards. He can break the rules when necessary, as deemed by Blackstaff McCoy. So things that others would be executed for as black magic, McCoy can do. Like, you're not supposed to kill people. Oh, he kills lots of people. He's the one who takes people out. He's a fixer. He solves the problems so everyone else can just go along the merry way playing wizard. So there's reasons. There's been some tensions, even though there's still love between Harry and Ebenezer as grandson and grandfather. But one of the biggest tensions I already mentioned, this ongoing friendship between Thomas and Harry that Ebenezer does not understand. And they have a conversation, a pretty heated conversation in the first half of the book about this, where Ebenezer is basically insisting you have to cut ties with the white court vampires. Ebenezer has particular reason for thinking this. He despises the white court because he blames them for the death of his daughter, Harry's mom. He doesn't know all of the information behind the death of Harry's mom, but he does know she spent time with the white court and he figures they're behind whatever happened to her. And he holds a grudge. He would like to see them gone. You know, you wiped out the red court. How about the white court? You know, but instead you're friends with them. And not only is he friends with Thomas, that leads to his ongoing relationships with Thomas's sister, Lara Wraith, who's the leader of the white court of vampires. So Ebenezer doesn't understand this. And he tells him again, Harry, you are meant for bigger things, better things, more important things. You gotta cut ties with the white court. There's no good to come from that. And as part of trying to convince Harry to let go and move on, he explains to him about how Harry is starborn. Now, we've heard this reference before, but now we get a specific detail on it. Because Harry is starborn, having to do with circumstances behind his birth, he has a special power over the outsiders. Now, the outsiders, big bads that have been lurking and looming in the background for a number of books now. The outsiders they want to get back inside, okay? They're the ones that get this name because they're kept outside of this reality. Uh, and there are actual walls where the winter court of the Fae are constantly at war, keeping them outside. Also, one of the wizards is involved, Rashid, the gatekeeper. That's what it means, the gatekeeper. He's at the gate on those walls, helping to keep the outsiders outside. Well, Harry is destined for to play a big role here because since he's starborn, he can banish outsiders. Anyone can fight against the outsiders, but the outsiders have an ability to corrupt those they touch. I mean, his, his fairy godmother, the Lianenshi, she was corrupted for a time by the touch of the outsiders, and Queen Mab had to encase her in ice. Maeve, the former winter lady, was corrupted by the outsiders and had to be killed because of it. It's so easy to be corrupted by the touch of the outsiders, and in particular, one of them, Nemesis, which is maybe one or is a force of them or a power behind them. We've got more to learn there, but Harry is resistant. They can't corrupt him. He can just, shoo, make them go away because of his starbornness. Okay, so this is a big deal. We get this explained by Ebenezer. We've been wondering, regardless of this information, Harry's like, no, I'm not going to cut off ties specifically with Thomas. He's my friend. I care about him. And now he's in trouble. This is 
definitely not the time I would turn my back on a friend. Ebenezer leaves in a huff, angry. Of course, Ebenezer doesn't know. It's not just friendship, it's family. So after this interaction with Ebenezer, Harry does the exact opposite of what Ebenezer would want. He goes to visit the Wraith estate. He needs to meet with Lara to talk about how do we get your brother free? He's in such a mess with the Svart Elves. They brainstorm, they talk about it, they poke jabs at each other. There's always some tension there. It's kind of fun seeing Lara and Harry interact with each other. There's mutual respect. There seems to be some sexual chemistry, but, you know, that's always kind of dangerous with a white court vampire. It's a fun interaction, but it gets no results. Leaving the Wraith Estate, Harry is approached, surrounded by a group of wardens. Carlos Ramirez again, but with a few of the other younger wardens, again, ones who used to idolize Harry, but now are part of the group that they wish they could trust him, but they feel like they can't. And here they see him coming out of the estate, the power base of the White Court vampires. So they have questions. And they question him. They want answers. And he won't tell them what's going on. Now, part of me when reading this was like, come on, Harry, just tell some of the truth. You have explanations for what you were doing here. But nope, he's like, none your business. I ain't telling you squat because I don't have to tell you anything. And he doesn't want complications if people, certain people knew certain things. One of the biggest being that Thomas is his brother. He's kept that secret very close to his vest. You start sharing some information about things with the white cord, it could lead to that information. One of the wardens does a little magical test on Harry and can discern he has recently had sex. Red flags go up. You just came out of the den of the white court of vampires who feed on sex, and they suspect he may be turned, corrupted, under the sway, and being manipulated by the white court. Can we really trust him? He insists he can be trusted, and he's angry, and he's offended that they don't trust him, and they're prying into his business. But they, the, the wardens do let Harry leave. They kind of, they accosted him, they made their points. They don't get any answers, but they don't really have actionable intel to do anything to Harry yet. Okay, that's a lot of stuff here. And Harry, he's got these problems. He's got doubts. He's got threats on all sides. <sighs> he tries to get help in a rather unusual way. He summons his former apprentice, Molly Carpenter. Summons. You know, summoning circle, calls her name three times, and woof. Molly appears within the summoning circle and can't leave it. Okay, that's interesting. Molly was just another person, but clearly is becoming more and more fae, less and less human, because she can be summoned like the fae. She can be bound by this magic circle. Hmm. We can also do something else here, though. We can make a bargain. And Harry makes a deal with Molly. I'm not going to go into the detail right now what the deal is, but what he gets from it is something that will help him a little later in the book. I'm not going to tell you that either, but I will get to that one further on into the book. But he gets some help from Molly to be learned. Okay, then let's jump through some brief points real fast, because I said I want this to be a shorter episode. Harry puts Maggie, his daughter, into the care of Michael and Charity Carpenter again. Uh, Thomas's attack on the Sforthald Fortress did damage. Harry's apartment 
was on fire. That was part of the issue. So Megan needs a place to stay and things are not safe right now. Hanging with Harry. So back with the carpenters, they're happy to take her back in with their family to protect her. And that place has some angelic protection as well. Maggie's worried. Her dad is leaving again. And he's like, no, 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 no. It will be all, it will be all right. And you've got the carpenters and you've got mouse with you. And even if something happens to me, my spirit will be here with you. I will see that you get trained if you start showing magical abilities. You girl will never be left to your own resources. It's kind of a touching moment there. It also emphasizes the seriousness that Harry can't promise he's going to be okay. There's too much going on right now. Next point. Queen Mab. She has two more favors that Harry owes her. And she gives them to Lara Wraith. What? Yeah, it's paying a debt off that she feels she owes to the Wraith family. So Lara now owns those two other favors. These were three favors that Mab transferred the debt that he had to Leon and she. When Mab got those, she said, okay, rather than just this ominous debt you have, I'm going to say you do three things for me. And when they're done, you're free. You're debt free. You're on your own now. All is good. And Harry accepted that bargain. Well, he'd already paid one of them. Now he's got two more. And now they're not Mabs anymore. They've been given to Lara. She's going to use them both pretty quick here now in this story. The first favor is pretty simple. At the first meeting of the peace accords, where all these unseelie representatives come together, Harry is asked to arrange for and make the introduction of Lara to Gregory Christos who's one of the senior council members of the White Wizards, who does not like Harry at all. And Harry doesn't like Christos either. He suspected Christos of being bad news. But Christos is a politician. So he's kind of like the lead voice for the Wizards in this peace accords. But not only meet Christos, but meet Etri. Now, Etri, I, I mentioned him before. That's the guy Thomas tried to assassinate, the head of the Svartelves. So Lara wants to meet the guy Thomas tried to kill. That's not an easy ask. <laughs> uh, you know, hi, I'm Lara Wraith. Yeah, my brother just tried to kill you the other day. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? She has a motive here. She wants to try to smooth things out a little bit and see if we can get past this big old understand misunderstanding, you know, and make things a little easier for Thomas. De-escalate the tension. Well, Harry is successful. He does get them talking, and there's one debt that's taken away. One of the uh, favors are paid. Also at this peace accord, then, Harry reconnects with River Shoulders, the Sasquatch that we met in a few short stories before this book. And in the last book, Skin Game, we had met the Janasqua, a more violent version of a Sasquatch. River Shoulders is of the forest people. Uh, the Janasqua followed the war path. Thinks the forest people are wimps. Well, River Shoulders in reconnecting with Harry, because they've had good relationships in the past, he has news for him. Yeah, he's here at the Peace Accords. The, the forest people are part of the Unseelie Accords. So he's representing them. But he tells Harry on the side, uh, you know that Janasqua that you, uh, you kind of went up against in Skin Game, and, and I know you think you killed him? Yeah, he's not dead. He's still alive, and he's gotten free. 
Now, free of where? Okay, the vault that they'd gone to break into was Hades' vault. It was literally down in hell. So the Janosqua was left there, seemingly dead. I mean, it was pretty crushing what was done to him, but he's a massively magical creature. We learned from River Shoulders. Yeah, he survived that. I understand if you didn't think he did, but no, he survived that. And he's gotten free, and uh, he's going to be gunning for you. So keep your eyes open. Eyes in the back of your head, Harry. This guy's going to show up again. Darn, highly magical creatures. Yeah, that's not good news for Harry. Second favor of Lara Wraiths comes into play here, too. And this will finally, again, fulfill Harry's debt. So this is exciting. This is positive prospect. But what is it? She's like, okay, you're going to help me break Thomas out. Okay, what? Hold on. What? Now, he'd like to help his brother, but he does not want to set off a war. And the Svart Elves, part of the Ancelia Accords, the White Court of Vampires, part of the Ancelia Accords, are kind of at each other tensely because one of them tried to kill one of the others, you know? And you want us to steal him out? Okay, she has made arrangements to ease the tension, part of that earlier conversation Harry helped arranged, so that Thomas is no longer in the custody of the Svart Elves. Instead, transferred to neutral territory. Whose territory? Baron Marcone. So he's actually in the prison underneath the castle of Johnny Marcone. The same location these peace accords are taking place. So here's the deal. She's going to say, we are going to make arrangements to steal, to, to break Thomas out right in the middle of the peace accords. That's what I want to see happen, and you are going to help me do it. Harry's like, this is, this is a powder keg, man. One wrong thing, and it all goes kaboom. But I don't have much choice. I guess I'll help. And this is going to be a big part of what's coming up in the rest of the book now. But I do want to point out, it's not enough to just get him away. Because they'll come after Thomas. They're not going to let Thomas go. But they have a goal. If they can get Thomas out of Chicago and over to Demon Reach, Harry's special magical prison island out in Lake Michigan, he'll be safe. Harry's power is near absolute out on that island. Thanks to his connection to the genus Loci out there, who he's, you know, if you remember, named Alfred. <laughs> no one would be able to take Thomas without Harry's permission if they can get him out there. So that's the goal. We'll try to get him out to Demon Reach. By the way, I said that they have Thomas down in the, the prison underneath the castle. When they actually get to the point that they are going to try to break him out, Thomas, it turns out, is in Harry's sub-basement. Remember, he had his special lab down underneath his apartment. That's the only thing that survived the burning down of the apartment building. And Marcone just built his castle right on top of it. So the sub-basement, Harry's workshop, lab, laboratory, it's still there. And that's where Thomas is kept prisoner. Now, to get Thomas out, they, man, they planned this whole scheme of deception and misdirection so that everybody's watching different things. And sadly, Harry mistreats Warden Ramirez with some of his magic, kind of pulls a prank, gets everybody's attention that way. And, and then they use some other magic to try to sneak out. And Oh, goodness. And <laughs> Queen Mab is complicit in it as well. And then they set up this key distraction that Mab helps with. And they also have the help of a Valkyrie. Uh, you remember Guard? Well, Guard has a sister. 
And she's here helping in this shenanigans. She's working for Lara Wraith. She'd been hired by that same Monarch Securities. And I don't want to describe it. If you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. This whole shenanigan. But I mean, a sex scene. Basically, they come up with a sex scene to throw everybody off the set. It's great. But now we get to the most significant part of the story. As they've succeeded in getting Thomas out of the sub-basement and outside to Murphy, where she's at the getaway car, the Fulmore arrive. They're here at the Peace Accords now, and they have come to drop a dramatic bombshell on their side with them in their rep- their, their company here is Ethnew, the last of the Titans, basically a goddess of ancient days. And with her power on their side, they're really not interested in peace. So they show up at the peace accords, and Ethnew just basically backhands Queen Mab through a freaking wall, and they announce, there shall not be peace. We're declaring war right here on the city of Chicago. Okay, the one place in the world that had resisted them the most. Like, we're going to wipe Chicago off the map, basically. And uh, you're all unseely accorded nations, and you're all here. Uh, so here's the deal. You basically have 24 hours to get out of town, or we'll kill you too. And they've already demonstrated what they can do, because on their way into the meeting, they killed every guard, mostly humans. Uh, anyone who didn't matter to them is dead. And just the representatives of the Unsealia Accords, the officials, are here to hear the news, except Queen Mab, who's been knocked out of the building. Now, think about that. Queen Mab. Everybody's terrified of Queen Mab. And Ethneo just whacked her out of the way. That makes an impact. Not so coincidentally, a fierce attack by the outsiders is sprung on the outer gates at the same time. So much of the winter court, the winter phase forces, they're needed at the outer gates. They can't be here in Chicago to help, or the outsiders are going to get in, which is a whole nother level of disaster. There is some real coordination going on here. This is bad. Ethniu and the Fomor, as they announce their declaration of war, they also release a supernatural blast of power that knocks out all power in Chicago. And then they leave. Everyone knows, we'll be back soon. The unseelie powers are looking at each other going, uh... I guess we should be leaving now. <laughs> they don't really care about the humans. I mean, the Fomor don't care. They're going to come and kill all the humans. So uh, we don't want them to kill us. Let them kill the humans. But Johnny Marcone, one of the signatories of the uh, Unsealia Accords, this is his turf, Chicago. And the Fomor just declared war against Chicago. Marcone's like, wait a second. This is why we have the Unsealia Accords. If someone attacks one of us, they attack all of us. You guys got to step up. You can't just let them do this. If you do, which one of you is next? They'll just go one after another. This is the place to take a stand. This is where it has to stop. And he actually convinces them. No mean thing, because again, <laughs> they just saw what he, what Ethnew, this goddess, did to Queen Mab. How are we going to stop something like that is what they're all thinking. This is where this part of the story basically ends. They're going to commit to some quick preparations because the Fomor and Ethnew will be back. And what can we do to prepare? But to end the rest of the plot line of the story, we've got to return to Harry now. Because Harry had stuck around 
to see all that that happened, but he had let the rest of his people head off with Thomas, basically to get to Thomas's boat so they can get out to Demon Reach. And now Harry goes to join them. But Blackstaff McCoy discerned what was going on, that they were breaking Thomas out. And he's, you know, had this conversation with Harry. He has these suspicions with Harry that Lara Wraith is using Harry. So he comes to stop this from happening by whatever means necessary. And here we get to see what Molly did earlier in the story on Harry's request with whatever bargain they had made. Because Harry confronts and delays Ebenezer on the docks at Lake Michigan while the boat is getting away. They argue. Harry is just trying to calm Ebenezer down and get him to understand you gotta let them go. And, and Ebenezer, he's the Blackstaff. He's gonna bring down a, some whooping on that boat and just, if it doesn't come back now, he'll sink it or blow it to smithereens. He can do that. He dropped a freaking satellite on a whole complex in Mexico back upon a time. We know there's nothing he can't do. As it becomes very clear, Harry is not going to stop Ebenezer. He plays his ace card and he says, you don't want to do something to that boat. Thomas on that boat is your grandson. He's my half brother. He's also the son of your daughter. Okay, this is too much for Ebenezer. Basically, he hears in his mind, not only did they kill my daughter, they raped my daughter and had a bastard child. This has to end. And he just sends a big old zap at the boat in fury. And Harry leaps in the way and takes the brunt of the blast. So the boat is not hit. This is a mortal wound. And Harry collapses to the ground. And Ebenezer is stricken with grief. He's just killed his own grandson. As mad as he was, that is not what he wanted to do. And he's cradling Harry in his arms as Harry is fading away and the boat is getting away and then harry turns into ectoplasm and oozes away it wasn't harry harry's on the boat harry got away and he does in his last words reveal this to ebenezer it's not really me don't feel so bad you didn't kill me you tried to kill me i think but you didn't so you don't have to feel too bad although really grandpa that sucks <laughs> Molly had arranged to create a dupe, a duplicate of the, the essence of the never-never ectoplasm that Harry was able to psychically utilize like as a, a fully automated, automated is the wrong word, a fully actualized puppet of himself. So Harry, way out on the boat, has been sending his thoughts into this creature. And then when he disconnects, it goes back to goo. The point, though? They got away. This does speak to what is this going to mean for their ongoing relationship? I mean, Grandpa just tried to kill me. Even if he didn't mean it, he kind of did it. Huh. But, okay, let's get back to them on the boat. They make it out to Demon Reach. Thomas is in terrible shape. Again, he'd already been consuming his own essence uh, because of the hunger that must be fed. Well, along the boat ride, he's been feeding on Lara now. She's allowed it. Because otherwise... He'd be dead. There's nothing left for him to consume. He is so in such bad shape. What can we do when we get there? Harry has an idea. He didn't tell Lara this ahead of time, but this is what he'd figured out. He has Alfred, you know, his demon reach dude, put Thomas in one of the prison cells where he can be put in stasis. No harm will come to him there, but no help either. He'll just 
kind of be frozen in time, cryostasis. And the hunger will not be able to consume him anymore. So he will not die, but he's not getting help either. Now, Lara is furious at this move. She reads into this that this was your plan all along. You're holding him hostage. What do you want? What are you trying to force me to do? And he's like, whoa, 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 woman. Cool your jets. That is not my intention. I only want what you want with Thomas. I want him well again and healed and, and free. But we have no time to deal with this right now. There's a war coming to Chicago. I remember, Lara didn't see the ending stuff at the Unseelie Accords, at the Peace Accords. She was off with Thomas. Harry, really quick, brings her up to speed and says, we're about to be attacked by the Fulmore, by a Titanus. We got to go help with that. I'm going to come go help with that. And then he does say, so while I'm not holding Thomas hostage, just keeping him safe here until we have time to deal with him, but we're not going to be able to deal with him if I die in the Battle of Chicago. So come with me, bring your forces, help us fight, and, and keep me alive while you're at it, please, so we can come back and help Thomas. All right, Lara's not happy about this, but she agrees to do her part. She will work to keep him alive, and the whole goal will be so we can get back here to help Thomas. Before the book wraps up, Demon Reach, the island entity, shares something very significant with Harry. Okay, a titan? You're dealing with Ethniu? Um, we can put her in here. He reveals this prison is powerful enough to imprison a titan. You just gotta get her to the shore of Lake Michigan. So here's the birth, the seed of a plan. We have to find a way to get her out to the beach. Get her into the water, and Demon Reach will be able to grab her and put her in prison. Uh, there's one little extra piece to it. It's not just good enough to get her in the water. You gotta stab her when she's in the water, and not just with any old weapon. And out of the armory comes the Athame. Now, the Athame is that special ceremonial dagger that's been seen in multiple books, has played a role in things. It originally was created by Morgana, the wizard opponent of um, the Merlin, the original Merlin, who created this island. And Athame has played a role in that it got corrupted by the outsiders, by Nemesis. And through that, Leah, his godmother, had been tainted. And uh, we also had Maeve was tainted. I mean, it's through this dagger, Harry Starborn. He's protected from any sort of taint like that this thing this dagger used properly when you stab the titan with it and she's in the water that's it we got her so easy right we just gotta manage to move a goddess to the point we want her at and then go up and poke her with a little dagger she's kind of gigantic by the way easy yeah well that's to come because that wraps up the book whoo this book ends basically at a major cliffhanger. The Battle of Chicago starts in less than 24 hours. And we don't know what we're going to do. We know the Fulmore are bringing overwhelming force on a fairly helpless Chicago. There's no power in the city. All these humans who have no idea what's going to be going on. And they're coming to destroy, to kill, to burn it to the ground. Oh, and they're bringing a freaking goddess of old, Ethnui. Ethniu. I keep saying that wrong. 
pretty sure it's Ethniu. And again, Beth Ethniu, who's strong enough to, you know, knock Queen Mab away like she's a fly. And somehow we're going to have to fight against that. Uh, we know that Harry has a desperate plan. One shot that could work to neutralize that biggest threat. And then maybe they have a chance against the rest of this overwhelming force of Fulmar. Just a chance. And there's a sense here. We're not going to come out of that battle unscathed. This is big. This is bigger. This has clearly been set up as bigger than anything we've seen in the Dresden Files so far. You thought changes change things? Battleground. Who's going to die? I mean, are we going to make it through? Is this going to be a complete game changer to the world of the Dresden Files? Who's going to be scarred? What's going to be changed? Who won't we have anymore once this comes and goes? What will it do to Harry? There's some big questions. Heck, will they win? Because it doesn't look like they're going to win right now. They have a tiny, tiny little chance. Stakes are really high. The best thing I can say now is that I was thrilled when I read Peace Talks that Battleground was already out and waiting for me. Uh, Jim Butcher actually released these books very close together. There was only two and a half month gap between the books. Basically, he wrote them together. But they were too big to publish as one book. He wanted to keep the books still to about the size they all are. So Peace Talks is where he felt this would be the spot to break it up. And now we'll come back for the battle itself. So it's a book-long battle, more or less, is what we're going to see. Intense. And you know it's going to be huge. And I was so glad I did not have to wait about 10 weeks to read the book. I could go right from Peace Talks to Battleground, which is what I did, and that was delightful. And I hope you have that same experience after reading Peace Talks. Now, I hope you'll join us for our next Dresden Files episode, when I'm going to try to bring on some guests with me, and we will talk the heck out of Battleground. It's an amazing book. It's a series-shaking book, and I look forward to sharing it with you soon. But spoiler light, I'm not telling you anything more about it. <laughs> That's where I'll leave you for today. Thank you for being with me here today. I don't know if I got this as the shortest of our Dresden Files episodes, but I might have. I'm clocking here just over an hour. That's pretty good for me. You know how I can go on and on. Speaking of, if you like going on and on with me, Check out all these ways on the screen here or in the show notes that you can go on more with Zach and I both on Twitter, Discord, Facebook, Instagram, even send us an email if you want. And again, if you'd love to support us at the next level, patreon.com fantasy88. Thanks everyone, and we'll talk to you next time.